I'm Andrew Schwartz, and you're listening to The Truth of the Matter, a podcast by CSIS where we break down the top policy issues of the day and talk with the people that can help us best understand what's really going on. To get to the truth of the matter about media attitudes and how Gen Z and other age groups are using news, we have with us Kevin Tran, who's the media and entertainment analyst at the global decision intelligence company, Morning Consult, where we see polls all the time from and are extremely useful. Kevin, you have a new study called Major News Brands Need to Fight Harder for Gen Z. Tell us about that. One of the key findings is is that Gen Z is much less aware of major news brands than other U.S. adults. Why is that? Yeah, uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. And the study we ran here is really confirming, you know, some suspicion or idea that a lot of a lot of us have had that uh, Gen Zers are, are less aware generally of major news brands than older uh, adults or their older counterparts. And I think that uh, partially comes down to just the legacy roots of some of these brands, brands like The Times, The Journal uh, have roots in print and I think uh, are more likely to be encountered maybe on other traditional news mediums like uh, traditional TV, which we know that younger consumers are using less. So when you see that, um, you know, younger adults, uh, Gen Zers particularly are increasingly cutting the cord or, or being cord nevers, I think they're just being exposed to a lot of these major news brands like Washington Post or the New York Times on traditional TV news networks less. So I think there's a gap in brand awareness there. On top of that, we know that younger news uh, consumers and, and younger consumers in general are using social media more, digital media more. And when you're on a platform like YouTube, I think it's easier for an independent news company that's not one of the companies we pulled about to go viral or, or have their name get out there. So I think it's a reflection of that too. It's just there's younger consumers that are just turning to alternative sources for news. Are the younger viewers and readers that you've surveyed, are they more interested in individual influencers and you know reporters' bios than the actual brand itself of the company that they might work for? Yeah, I think that's part of it. Um, that wasn't in the the specific study that we ran, but I've seen data elsewhere before showing that you know younger consumers are interested in going to platforms like TikTok, and we'll see that they follow you know certain individuals for news rather than a major news organization. And I think that has to do with just the way that a news story can travel on social media nowadays, where, for instance, Politico or another major news company might have a scoop and it's just, uh, you know, their story is reported on by other news companies or just individuals. And by the time it makes its way to a Gen Zer, they might just hear it coming from their friend who's not citing a source. I think that's a downside for the the company that got the scoop in the first place because they're maybe not getting the recognition when it gets to that Gen Z in the last place. So I think that's part of it as well. So your your respondents who said they had never heard of the following news outlets were, were was kind of shocking. So forty three percent of Gen Z adults in your survey said they had never heard of the Associated Press. Twenty eight percent said they had never heard of MSNBC. 
37% said they haven't heard of Bloomberg. 32% said they hadn't heard of The New Yorker. W- was this surprising to you? Yeah, definitely, especially for the brands that you just mentioned. For someone like myself or yourself as well, where we were just reading the news, you know, it, it seems shocking that 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 percentage of people would, wouldn't know these bigger brands. But I think it makes more sense when you just consider like the bigger media diet of younger consumers. You know, I've seen studies elsewhere that have shown that uh, over the past few years, uh, it's become more common for younger consumers and Gen Zers to actively avoid the news as things like the pandemic and other harsh headlines have increasingly come out over the past few years. I think it's a reflection of some people tuning out and those big brands that you just mentioned, like Bloomberg, Associated Press, um, are feeling uh, the brunt of that. So as you mentioned before, younger viewers do not typically watch cable TV uh, for news or network for news. So like basically a lot of survey data done by Pew and others has shown that if you're over 50 years old in this country, you do watch cable news. If you're under 50, you don't. So where do you think, you know, these legacy media companies are looking for viewers to replace the ones who, you know, might not be around for so long, you know, for much longer? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that's, uh, you know, an evergreen question for a lot of these legacy media companies is just how do we replace the demo that we used to be getting on traditional media? I think some of them are starting to tap into the the social channels in a more compelling way, but there's still room for, for growth there like I get into. In my, uh, my last memo uh, about uh, news brand awareness, like at least when I checked and, and wrote the the article, the New York Times proper didn't have a TikTok account, which you know seems really surprising for a brand like the Times. You know, there are other brands that we checked on that didn't have uh, a TikTok account, which is becoming the the social media platform uh, already is for a lot of younger consumers. So it's just kind of like accepting that certain trends are here to stay rather than something that will come and go, which. I think can be difficult because we've seen a lot of social companies intentionally or, or unintentionally. It's, you know, it's hard to tell when a, when a company is, is here to stay. So for instance, Clubhouse was super hot when the pandemic first started. Social audio still going on some platforms like Twitter with Twitter spaces. But, you know, we saw some publishers invest into standing up shows, regular shows on Clubhouse to, to reach a younger audience, uh, which Clubhouse was helping to do. You know, now the data shows that that platform isn't where it was at the beginning of the pandemic. So I think when you have certain legacy media companies uh, invest in platforms like that and they don't see the the return that they're hoping to get, it makes them potentially a bit more hesitant to jump into newer digital platforms to reach younger consumers where they know they're at. But, you know, they're just not sure if they'll get the return they want. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I remember meeting with former Post executive editor Marty Baron at the time that the Post decided to get a TikTok account. And I remember him telling me that, you know, we don't really know what we're doing in this space, but we know it's going to be important. And that was years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, uh, that's impressive. And I think that's a, that was a good move on their part, especially seeing how TikTok has panned out since then uh, in terms of usage. 
But I think that's a good way to look at it. You know, maybe not necessarily this is this platform will help drive this many page views to this article that we're pushing out, but more think about how these platforms will help with just building the brand overall and and uh, brand awareness overall. Let, let's talk about YouTube for a minute. Your analysis points that YouTube is really the place where not just Gen Z, but a lot of people are using as a destination for news and information. Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah. So that graphic in my piece was uh, referring specifically to, to YouTube as a podcast listening platform. So we, we asked uh, consumers across different demos, what is your preferred platform for listening to podcasts? And by and large, that was YouTube, save for, for Gen Z, where Spotify was slightly more of a preferred podcast listening platform. But I think this is a, a bit surprising because at least from the survey data I've seen previously, typically you see Apple Podcasts, Spotify towards the top, uh, which makes sense for Spotify. They've invested hundreds of millions of dollars over the past few years to push their podcast um, initiative. But with YouTube, it, it kind of seems like more of the sleeping giant that people are waking up to now in terms of this is a legit podcast platform, which makes sense because with the video element that comes with it, it makes the podcast experience a lot more compelling. And I think that as I go into in my article, it's just important for, for publishers to recognize this because as these younger consumers go to p YouTube for podcasts, I think they can capitalize that with, with investing more into it, especially from the video podcast angle. Yeah, some people might think it's counterintuitive because YouTube, they, they think of as a visual medium. Of course, there are visual podcasts now, but the majority of podcasts that are on YouTube are audio only. And, you know, as you show in your survey and in your analysis, overwhelmingly among all U.S. adults, this is as big as Spotify, if not bigger, as big as Apple, if not bigger. So what does that tell you about that platform? Yeah, I think it just speaks to first broadly the reach of YouTube. So it's just becoming everything for a lot of people. It's not just video, uh, audio as well. But I think it it also just speaks to the potential for for growing a brand. We've seen certain huge influencers that got into the podcast boom when I would consider that like a big wave of that starting like late 2018. Like Logan Paul, his podcast is massive now. And I think it's a good indication for, for publishers to, to recognize that YouTube isn't just video. And I think something that YouTube is, is trying to crack and probably will get closer to is, is also just positioning itself and pitching itself as a podcast platform because I, I pay for YouTube premium so I can watch videos with the screen locked and the sound will keep playing. So in that essence, YouTube is like a pure podcast platform for me, but for other people that don't pay for that, you have to keep the screen on. And I think that prevents some podcast listening that otherwise would happen. So if YouTube can, I think, help make that feature a bit more widespread, it would, would help with their podcast listening as well. That's interesting. I mean, based on your work, we had never had this podcast or any CSIS podcast on YouTube but we looked at the numbers that you put up and said, well, we have to do this now because, you know, we're missing some of our audience. And we put it up, the first episode up last week. And in a couple of days, you know, thousands of people were already listening to it. And this is audio only, oh, wow. of course. So it, it really oh. is. We, we tested it out and it worked for us. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's great to hear. Happy to hear that. I think, yeah, it just speaks to the, the growing demand for 
for podcast content as well. I feel like when the podcast boom first started a few years ago, there's a lot of excitement around that. I think maybe some people have cooled on that, that were first initially in on it because maybe they're not finding some podcasts that, that, that interest them. But I think moves that companies, organizations like that you're making, just helping good content be more discoverable out there could help people just get back into podcasting. In terms of social media, do you think that you know, what are some of the news organizations that use it the best to reach out to a broader audience? Um, have you, do you differentiate between the top brands and some of the newer brands like Vox, for instance? Yeah, I think Vox is a good example of just, you know, being digital first. So, you know, something I associate with Vox is like their explain series. Uh, so they have those videos on YouTube and that was turned into a Netflix show, I believe years ago. And I think moves like that, where you're just putting your brand out on digital, it just helps your name be known among that digital younger set of consumers that you're trying to be known against, known among rather. So I think that's been a good mood for them. Another thing with Vox is they were also, I think early in, in the podcast push, not necessarily in the video sense. I think that was came a bit later, but you know, there's a report in late 2019 that showed that Vox was publishing, uh, I think it was around 200 podcasts at that point. So they, they were early into pushing that. And, you know, when you're just having your roots earlier uh, among that crowd, it just helps you build that brand awareness when other publishers might do the same and take those listeners from you. Let's talk about a platform called Now This, which I think most of our listeners probably don't know about. Now This has managed to grow a large following on social media and has become one of the leading media companies for Gen Z adults. What have they done that has worked out so well? Yeah, I think similar to Vox, they were just good at being early on, on certain digital trends. So for example, I mean, now this is like one of the brands I associate most with just the vertical news video on social, which is kind of like was the bread and butter, at least, you know, earlier on in the social wave. Now, the social landscape is a bit more complex in terms of what works on social media platforms. But yeah, they were early on on getting news out that was digestible in video. You know, in 2014, they're making news videos for Vine and Instagram, which I don't believe everyone else was as aggressive on as them at that point. I believe they're also the first, one of the first news companies to be publishing stories on Snapchat back when Snapchat stories was just Snapchat stories and stories wasn't on Instagram and all these other platforms that it's on now. So they were just early on that and being innovative and that helped them build their brand among younger consumers. And I think when that happens, it just helps with those young people spreading their name to other young people. Kevin, there's this notion that the younger you are as a young adult consumer of news, the more drawn you are to short form news. Is that is that the case or is that the trend that we're all moving in? I mean, write shorter articles, record shorter podcasts, more, you know, synopsis that go right to the heart of the matter. Is is that is this just a function of the time we're in and the frenetic pace of American life these days? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think that's a good point as well. You know, more broadly, sometimes we tend to categorize a generation a behavior with a generation just because just because it can be helpful with maybe a strategy or advertising strategy. But I think that's part of it is that in general, as a society, there's just much more content than there's ever been for free. So 
if something is going to get somebody's attention that's really long, it's going to have to be really compelling. And it's not just these younger users who might trend towards the the bite-sized content. And on the flip side of that, I think this is just getting at that there's there's no rule of thumb for successful content. So just because, you know, maybe there there might be a trend towards shorter form content in certain mediums, that's not always going to work. Uh, you know, look at Quibi, their whole thing was short form video and they're out for less than a year. So if that was truly a, a rule of thumb, then that platform might have panned out differently. But yeah, I think I think that's a good way to look at it. It's just there's not something that works in all cases. So what are legacy media companies like the New York Times and the Washington Post, Wall Street Journal doing now? You know, they're constantly in a search for to get younger. What, what do you think some of the things that they're going to try to do to shore up their brands with this up and coming generation will be? I think bundling will be part of it. So, I mean, we've seen uh, the Times, they bought The Athletic recently, you know, in a bid to, to expand their their audience to the sports community is in a, in a bigger way and making just news more paid news, more accessible to younger audiences, which at that point in their life might not have as much disposable income as their older counterparts that can pay for new subscriptions, uh, which can be expensive from certain companies. I think another trend we'll see is just gaming as well. So New York Times got Wordle and we, we've heard them talk about how gaming is you know helped with subscriptions and i think that will just continue as well i think that just hits on a bigger trend of one form of media leaning on another form to accelerate growth when it's stagnating to bring it to like video streaming like netflix has gone into gaming recently and their subscription growth has not been great for this first half of 2022 so just bundling in other elements of media to augment the core subscription offering when you can, I think is a trend we'll continue to see. And what are some of the most accessible platforms for young people to get smart news? Because after all, you know, one of the things we're talking about here is paid subscriptions versus free news. And there's very few organizations that can actually charge a subscription and get enough subscribers to make it work. In fact, you even see some of the major news organizations like the LA Times that once had 3,000 journalists working for it, now probably closer to 500. What does an organization like that do? Yeah, just going back to perhaps, I think the the price point and maybe just cross media bundling to to bring it a step further than what I was talking about earlier, not not just bundling with other news publishers, but perhaps like video streaming services just to make a complete cross media bundle where you're you're signing up for one thing to get, you know, news, gaming, video and music similar to like what Apple has with their Apple One bundle, just making the price point a bit more affordable, I think will be helpful. And in terms of young, you know, journalists that are out there who are up and coming, is the most important thing for a young journalist, you know, aside from, of course, being a good reporter and reporting the news well, isn't it about developing their own personal brand in this disaggregated network of... Yeah, 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 definitely. That's a really interesting trend, too, that I think we've seen playing out uh, since the pandemic started with, like, how much is the traditional news publisher actually needed when we saw Substack hand out those massive checks. I think more recently we've seen, like, a 
a vindication of the legacy publishers in a way where some bigger name writers who publicly went to Substack went back to work for traditional media companies. So I think building the personal brand is definitely becoming more important because with the influencer economy in general becoming more lucrative and, and viable, you can make a living on, on those platforms in a way that wasn't possible decades ago. But with uh, what I was saying earlier, you know, with some writers going back to traditional media companies after being lured by certain tech platforms, I think that just says that there's just a very small handful that can at least command like a massive amount of money from going it alone. Kevin Tran, fascinating stuff. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts. From Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 